afternoon, all you TCU Horn Frogs, and thank you for joining us on another lunchtime edition of the Frog for Life podcast. We are so lucky today to be joined by Judge Zoo Williams from the District Court of Maryland. He has taken time out of the courtroom, out of his very busy schedule with everything that's going on in, in the judicial world, of which we'll get to in a second. And thank you so much for joining us today, Zoo. I'm happy to be here. Go Frogs. And for the record, I have my purple tie on. Just want everybody to know that. That is the most important thing. When you're getting ready to be on a uh, webcast about TCU, you have to have your purple on. So thank you so much for uh, having that purple. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So uh, as we get started, um, again, this show is about our audience. We, we are so thankful everyone's watching us today. So put in the chat, where are you watching us from? We've had some people from Fort Worth. Uh, we had somebody from Maryland. Um, all of Zeus' friends are, uh, are tuning in today. They, uh, they miss Zeus, so uh, this is a great chance to, to catch up with Zoo and, and we look forward to hearing his comments throughout the show. But put in the comments where you're watching from, how your day is going, and any thoughts you want to send out to Zoo. Um, as we get started, Zoo, obviously this is a, a TCU podcast, and so you are on because you are a TCU alum. Before we get into your experience at TCU, I wanted to I wanted you to talk to how you decided to come to TCU and why you decided to be a Horn Frog all those years ago. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, uh, welcome everybody. People are logging on. I can feel the love. Hopefully, my, my computer won't ding that much uh, for it. Uh, you know, I also want to tell everybody uh, that I do a lot of stuff on my social media. So a lot of the things that I say here today and that you hear about. Uh, I allow people to follow me both on my Facebook and my LinkedIn. So just uh, go ahead. I want everybody to reach out and do that. Uh, the question that you asked is a very good question. How did I end up there? So I'll be honest. I tell two stories, two different stories, a story that's true and a story that's kind of true, right? So uh, the way that I ended up in TCU, uh, the uh, made up kind of true but true story is, is that I was trying to get back at my parents uh, for uh, making me look at all these schools. You know, when you're 17, and you're an 18 year old and your parents are like, where are you going to put your applications in? What are you going to do? Um, you know, uh, you kind of say, okay, I'm going to do the ones that I think I'm going to go to. Uh, and then I'm going to do the ones that I, uh, I think are going to be outrageous to my parents. Uh, so that's kind of what I did. Uh, I, I saw this at his Christian college catalog because I was focused on that. Um, and I saw a horned frog in TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And I said, there's no better way to get back at my parents than to go ahead and uh, and apply for that. So that part of the story is is, is super true. That's, that's what occurred. Uh, the uh, other part of the story is, is that I never once visited the campus, right? I visited every other campus I got in, uh, schools that were quote unquote ranked higher than TCU. Um, I went and visited all the schools of my father and thought I was gonna go someplace else. Uh, and this is the part where people have a little trouble believing, but it's actually uh, somewhat true. I had a dream, and I don't remember what the dream was. Now I'm not MLK, right? So I don't. <laughs> so I didn't have a dream. I was about to ask if you had a dream or. Yeah, no, I, I had a dream. That's a good point. Uh, I had a dream uh, uh, that I wanted to go to TCU. I don't know the contents. Of the dream, I don't remember it. But I remember jumping up from a sleep, and I run over to uh, my mama. My mom is very religious. She's like, "Oh, you had a dream, and, and yes, this is the one. This is the place for you." And she's hugging me, oh, baby, oh, baby, that's great. You know, I run into my sister's room and I tell her and my sisters don't care. So they're like, uh, 
Can I go back to doing what I'm doing, right? And I ran to my dad, and my dad's one of my heroes. And I ran to my dad, and I said, Dad, I think even though we didn't visit TCU, <laughs> that I should go there. And my dad looked at me and said, was there money in the stream? <laughs> but things worked out and that I got a scholarship and grant money, diversity grant scholarship money uh, to come there. And so I ended up going there. So uh, the answer to your story is uh, that somehow, whether whichever two stories you believe, I was fated to be there. It was one of the best decisions I made. So you're coming from the East Coast. You come to Texas is this the, I mean, this is the first time you've been on the campus. Was this the first time you'd been to DFW also? You know, I had come through Dallas uh, sometime before, but really, yeah, uh, the DFW, or as I call it, the uh, uh, FWD, right? So Fort Worth, Dallas uh, Metroplex. Uh, when I came through, uh, I didn't know. I stepped off the plane. Uh, I remember the one thing I told my dad, because we had a rental car. Everybody had white cars at these bright, white, shiny vehicles, small, big trucks, small cars. And I said, why does everybody have white cars in, in Texas? Because I didn't even know what was going on when I stepped off the plane. It was definitely a leap of faith, right? I guess pun intended, leap frog, but also uh, spiritually a leap of faith. So you get to the campus, never been there before. You have this dream that leads you there. Yeah. What? What kind of culture shock? How did the dream, when you get there, how does dream meet reality on your first impressions? Yeah, so I uh, walked in and I met my, and I had some phone conversations with my uh, roommate. And we stayed at Tom Brown, the old Tom Brown. Uh, and we, we were in the new Tom Brown. We'll talk about that later. But the old Tom Brown Hall. And I walk in and his name is uh, William Benjamin Alexander. But Ben Alexander, he was actually one of the SGA presidents uh, during the time we were there as well. Ben Alexander. Uh, he worked uh, later at TCU for a little bit. I walk in and he's tall. <laughs> and he's got this thick Texas accent. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, we talked to each other and we got along. And for all four years when I was at TCU, I lived on campus and Ben Alexander was my roommate. We talked about all the things that people who go to school talk about. Uh, well, they're interested in somebody else, trying to figure out their path forward. Uh, and he's been, he was so helpful to that. And not just him, uh, there was a slew of folks from Tom Brown that were just absolutely amazing. Uh, Jeff Minucci, uh, Daniel Wells, who's actually the director of Starbucks region down there in, uh, <laughs> in, um, in uh, Texas. Uh, Mark Peserb, uh, I said Derek Roy, uh, these are folks that were very close to me and made me feel at home. On the Thanksgiving and the weekends, Mark and his family uh, would bring me down to San Antonio when I couldn't make it all the way back. Uh, so it was amazing. And then there were other folks from the East Coast that came on later, like Paul Kenitra, uh, who's actually uh, a mayor of a town in New Jersey uh, right now. Uh, and they all made me feel comfortable. So from Ben to those people, uh, it absolutely amazing and made me feel welcome. So the dream or the, the leap of faith I took was uh, on good shoulders. Well, it seems like we've had a couple of comments already of people chiming in about this Ben Alexander. So he's uh, you you roomed with the, with the best person to room with. Uh, he was amazing, right? So uh, <laughs> I can say that I'm amazing too. So, but, but uh, it was it was a friendship that uh, seemed uh, that it would never work. You know, I look, we look at politics today, and we know the old. Uh, partnerships with people like, how does that person friends with that person, right? So people are like, how's Biden uh, are you friends with this individual? Or, you know, 
or Senator McCain. And it's because of out of respect, it's out of, uh, I think, a deep seated belief uh, and also working together in hard times when it's uncomfortable uh, to move forward. And I think that's what we did uh, every day in our um, culture shock every day uh, in our uh, dorm. So I uh, have yeah, been so good, good shout out to Ben. So aside from your roommate, that obviously that works, when you came to Texas, never seen the campus, didn't know what your experience was going to be like. Did you know the kinds of activities you wanted to get involved in? Or was this just kind of the, I'm going to walk around and whoever seems cool, that's, yeah. that's what I'm going to get involved with? Well, so I was, I was, I will, I will say that I was timid, right? Uh, Tom Brown had a reputation of being kind of a nerdy dorm. Uh, you know, we had a hall director, a, a, a RA, Scott Russell, who's now Microsoft in uh, Seattle, uh, and a bunch of folks. So we get together and we were all, uh, Nathan Neely, who I forgot to mention earlier. Let me not, not, not left out Nathan. Nathan is my one of my best friends still today. He called me last night and said, don't mess this up. Uh, do a good job. Um, but uh, I, I was conscious and self-conscious, and I'll be honest with you, uh, because there wasn't a lot of black folk, right? And especially not a lot of black folk who weren't athletes, right? <laughs> you know, I was there on academic scholarship. And so I was very timid about, you know, figuring out what the path looks like uh, in a sea that did not look like me. Uh, but what, what surprised me was, is that folks, uh, most folks, there were some incidents, but most folks uh, pulled me in and said, hey, let's do this. And one of the people who pulled me in was Scott Russell, uh, Nathan, and we did this uh, intramural called Ultimate Frisbee. I had never played Ultimate Frisbee. So when you talk about walking around <laughs> and trying to figure out who will take you, the ultimate Frisbee people took you. We played on the line of Tom Brown and we'd be at intramurals and, and I ended up on our little intramural team going down to Rice and, and A&M to play. Uh, and that was something that was enriching. And then also with the student government, uh, was a place that, uh, that I felt that I belonged. Yeah. Uh, we want to hear from the, the crowd who here, had played ultimate frisbee before they got to TCU. I remember having the same experience when I lived. I lived in Milton Daniel, and then I lived in Clark. And when I lived in Clark, that was obviously the front lawn um, on uh, University Drive. And you couldn't look out your window without it may be nine o'clock at night, and there's an ultimate frisbee game going. And yeah. ultimate frisbee is just kind of like the thing you do when you get to TCU. So it's the thing you do when you get older and you put on weight like me and you tell people you used to play ultimate frisbee, they go insane. And so but I played. And these people can tell you that I, I was uh, mediocre to good, right? They can say that. <laughs> so people put in the chat, what are your ultimate frisbee uh, memories? We want to hear who was the all-star, maybe who played against Zoo back in the day, and, and what are your best uh, uh, ultimate frisbee memories? But aside from the ultimate Frisbee field, um, you were involved with SGA. Um, yes. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense given where you are today. But how did you take on that interest in being involved with student government? Yeah, so I was always involved. Uh, I come from the D.C. area, right? So uh, where I live now in Silver Spring is literally a half a mile, excuse me, from the border of D.C. I'm a Washingtonian, D.C. born and browsed, born at Howard University. Uh, so politics was in my blood. Um, uh, it was a different type of politics then, uh, but it was in my blood. It's something I knew that I wanted to do. When I was in high school, uh, somebody gave me this uh, book called Robert's Rules of Order, right? I got that book and I learned all through that book and I tried to learn every single rule. And that ended up being my strength. So when I got to TCU and uh, Ben Alexander, I don't know how many times I'm going to say his name. Uh, so <laughs> he, uh, he ended up being elected president of the SGA. Um, 
he said, yeah, I know somebody who knows rules and can read the rules and go through it. So I ended up being parliamentarian. Uh, and then after me, Carlo Capo, which a lot of folks know, who's a very good personal friend of mine, always stays at my house when he's in DC. Um, he, uh, we talked about doing that and doing parliamentary procedure. It was something that I loved because it was based on law and order um, such that people got an opportunity to express themselves. It was never used as a way to, to rush bills through the uh, TCUSGA or to keep people from talking, but it was an orderly way so that people would be forced to listen to each other. And so uh, that was my interest. That's what got me involved, both Ben and uh, Robert's Rules. And so when did you first join SGA? What was kind of your different roles you held throughout? Yeah, so when did I first join? I think I was a member. I mean, you're, you're really taxing on that. So I think I was a member first uh, from Tom Brown uh, Hall, the original uh, Tom Brown Hall. Uh, and then I think that uh, then uh, both Ben and I were in the student uh, house, right? And then we uh, we went up from there. And so I was uh, I think that that's the way that we came in. I could be wrong because my memory fades, but uh, doing things uh, at TCU, trying to push for diverse efforts, uh, trying to do things that people wanted. Uh, people don't remember what the main used to look like. We used to have Eden Gre Eden's Greens, the main. You had to go out to the Greek Worth Hills if you wanted. It's not as cohesive as it was then. You had to find like, a spot to eat. So food was an important thing that we talked about. One thing that we did when we were there is that we created the shuttle, uh, TCU shuttle. I think it's still in place now. And people were like, oh, why are we going from one end to the other? It's lazy. Why do we have a shuttle in Worth Hills or the Greek? Uh, and uh, we were able to get that done and find the money in the path forward. And uh, the administration uh, was very helpful in that. And aside from SGA, you were also involved. You got your degree in the Neely School. Yes. Um, talk about that kind of collaboration that really teaches teamwork. And and obviously now Neely is such is growing on every world ranking um, every year. They just go higher and higher. So I got to say, I'm so proud of the Neely School. Let me know uh, what I can do to help us climb higher. Uh, you know, so yes, you're right. I was a marketing major. I ended up in Neely. I wasn't there originally. I was a computer science major took discrete math and said, let me try uh, business instead. <laughs> You're doing accounting and business instead. Let me tell you about the, uh, what I remember most about Neely is the faculty. Is the fa I had friends there, we were in small groups, but the faculty would say, hey, you gotta work with folks. We're gonna put you in these groups. You're gonna have to do these things, these concepts. You're gonna have to be well read. I had uh, a subscription, my first subscription to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I had because my marketing professor said do it, right? My um, uh, Counselor at the time, John Thompson, um, said, yeah, you should get it every day, and it was free, so we did it. I held that Wall Street Journal um, uh, subscription all the way up until three and a half years ago, <laughs> and then I, I stopped it. But that's a long duration of time uh, that I had it. Um, and But the, the, they would come and tell me, and they would say, work on this way, work with this person. Here's the thing about teamwork, and I'm glad that you put it, brought it up. The thing about teamwork is, uh, that you don't really get to choose who is on your team, especially in the business world. There's going to be women, there's going to be uh, people of different colors, different sexual orientations, so black folks, uh, Asian folks, there's going to be folks from all over the country, they're going to have different ideas about how to move forward. Being in Neely taught me uh, that you have to find a way forward with folks. You can't just say, I'm going to do this and do it my way and my way is the best, because I will tell you, you are incorrect. The times when I thought that my way may be the only way and the way correct uh, was so rigid and being at the Neely School made me break from that. Their leadership, uh, their thoughts about how to operate in a world economy, 
uh, was something that I needed at that time in my life. See, that's one of the things that makes TCU so great is the fact that you have to confront things and be in uncomfortable situations to move forward. That is the kind of learning that I had when I was in the Neely School. Now, did I always get it right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Anybody says that they always get it right or truly fooling themselves because we were young, we were 18, 19, 20. We're trying to figure out our way forward. But the Neely emboldened me um, to be more confident, to work with people, to speak up. I remember an instance in the Neely, uh, and then we'll, we'll change to the next uh, question, um, where we had to bring in current events. Uh, and one of the, and everybody would bring in Forbes, of course, the journal, uh, they would bring in, some people would bring in the Times, not very many, but some people bring in the Times, and we would talk about uh, different things that are going on with different companies, especially when we're talking about those companies in our case studies. I remember one day I came in, and I brought in a magazine uh, called Black Enterprise. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a magazine that a lot of people know about, it's uh, it's a magazine that a lot of black folks know about it. It was the one that my parents had in their living room when we talked about business. It was mostly focused on uh, small startup black businesses, large black businesses. And, and so I picked mine from that. And I remember being in front of the classroom saying, well, I got my, uh, my source is black uh, enterprise. Here is what uh, my article is. And I came up with the article was, and the class was silent. I didn't know if I had picked the wrong source and I felt really out of place. And I sat down and the next person went. After class, uh, a couple of my classmates came to me and said, what was that magazine? Black Enterprise, I never heard about it. Talk to me about it. And I would talk to them about it and about what was in it and they didn't even know that it existed. It made a real difference in my education. It made a real uh, difference in how I felt there because of these folks who were my classmates didn't say, well, I never heard of that. That's something that's foreign to me. Instead, they said, what information's in there and how have I been missing it? That is the type of thing that we, I had at Neely and I hope they're continuing into today and hopefully in the other classes as well. So those are my comments on Neely. I'm happy to be there. It was a great experience. And then they, you're just one of the, the many shining products they've put out. As we said, they grow in the, the national rankings every year. If you're a Neely grab, put a a shout out in the chat because um, they are, they're growing every year in, in the national rankings, like we said, but right. so after, after TCU, you go back to uh, go back to DC for, uh, for grad school and law school. Um, what did you go immediately after, um, after graduating TCU and talk about how you chose your uh, grad school and law school? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got into a lot of different schools. I was waitlisted by a couple uh, I remember uh, studying for the uh, Elsa Hatton at Landreth Hall uh, and taking the test there as well. Uh, but coming, I went straight through. So I didn't stop and get that one year, two year of experience. And I had an opportunity to be at uh, WCL, uh, Washington College of Law, which is American University, and uh, also uh, their School of Business as well. Uh, so the COGOD, COGOD School of Business. And they brought me in in the joint program. So it was going to be an opportunity for me to study law, which I loved, and then all the great things I heard about um, the, the business school at COGOD, uh, and also I experienced at TCU, I thought I would do that. And here I thought I was going to be this big business lawyer. I was going to see from both sides. I was going to start businesses and do things, uh, but it was absolutely a, a good time, a hard time. I don't think I could do it now, <laughs> but at the time, you know, you'd run from torts 
and then I'd run over to, uh, to do an accounting class, advanced accounting, and then I'd run back over and have to do civil procedure and then run back over and we have a marketing test and exam. And then of course, you're, uh, I, I got my degree in the MBA for leadership and entrepreneurship because uh, how do you not go to TCU and not be an entrepreneur? That's, it's, hard, it's hard to do. That's what most folks do. So, yes. And so you're, so you're in Washington, D.C. Um, during one of the most pivotal um, elections um, of the country in 2000. Yeah. Um, what was it like to be in law school and around that university during um, that time? I mean, you're learning yeah. basically just watching TV. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, so uh, that's the 2000 election uh, and uh, hanging chads and all the things that you know and and of course, uh, Bush, they come, I was coming from Texas. Uh, you know, so it was uh, definitely a challenging time. I will admit to that. Um, when I had come from TCU, uh, it's funny. When I was at TCU, I was politically called one of the most uh, liberal people. Like, oh, you're so liberal. And then I get to American University, and they're like, oh, you're so conservative. What's, what's happening? So you don't quite fit in either. Um, but it was a great learning experience. Our professors delve into it and said, look, this is what's going on. This is why it matters and allowed us to make our own decisions. I know that I disagreed and agreed with some of my colleagues about what was going on, but in first year, it's so hard anyway. It's so difficult anyway that you don't really have time to breathe. Now, I always joke when I talk to my friends who went to uh, AU, WCL, that every one of the three years I was in law school, something happened, right? Number one, we had the presidential election, right? And then we had, uh, let's see, then we had uh, the sniper. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. there was a DC sniper and people were going around and doing stuff. Right. And so, and then also we had uh, 9-11. So every year we were challenged by something uh, when we were there, but uh, it helped me grow and understand and be able to listen. I think that's the most, I, learned. I think 9-11 when I was in law school was probably the most uh, indelible mark of my life uh, because we have such a diverse uh, law school. Uh, and that's when things we're proud of. And I was hearing statements from folks uh, that were different perspectives. Uh, you're angry in the moment. Uh, you, uh, I, you know, I love my country. I love America. I'm the first one to have the flag, the flag up in my office. Um, but you're also hearing stories from people who were being affected in different ways. Hmm. Um, and when you listen to people that you care about, who sit next to you, who eat lunch with you, uh, who have stories that uh, have never been told, uh, it makes you listen and be thoughtful. Um, and so. Uh, even though it was a, one of the most horrible things I think that happened in our country. Uh, and I pray every, every day um, for the folks who lost their lives but also been affected moving forward. It also gave me an opportunity to listen and hear from folks who weren't like me. And I think that that was important too. And so you graduate from law school and you've been in a number of places since then. So walk us through your career path. Oh, okay. So we'll go fast. We'll speed fast because people are bored with the with, record, with but I'll do it. So after I got out of law school, I got a really cool opportunity uh, to clerk for the chief judge of the Maryland Court of Appeals. So the top judge, whoever your Supreme Court is, he's the chief judge of your state and that Supreme Court. Uh, judge Robert M. Bell is his name. Uh, uh, and I had a great co-clerk who was uh, uh, helped bring me along. I was a little slow coming out of school. Uh, you know, um, uh, so, uh, Jennifer, I know she's, hopefully she's on Jennifer Carter Jones. Hopefully she's on. Uh, then after that, I was able to go to a large firm, Venable LLP. Uh, it is a top a, uh, AM 100 is what they call it, but it is a 
awesome, awesome uh, firm when I was there. I was in the white collar but environmental uh, group, uh, and I learned a lot about um, you know environmental laws, how that works, how it works with people, a lot of OSHA, so safety and occupancy things. And the thing that I got at uh, I think Venable is a better appreciation for what the profession looks like. Right, the people who are trying to do a good job. It's a large law firm. Um, I didn't mind the money. Let me say that too. I didn't mind the money. Uh, and we were right, ac- we were right across from uh, Capital Arena or you know, whatever it's called now. So we would go down on the floor doing Wizards playoff games, and it was it was a great time. But I really learned about how uh, the law can have a broader effect on people, even in big law. Because after that, I then went to uh, clerk on the uh, federal, uh, federal court, Eastern District of Virginia, for Judge Gerald Bruce Lee. And when you clerk for Judge Gerald Bruce Lee, you're brought into a family of clerks and people who care deeply about the Constitution, deeply about uh, the way America is headed. And so I got an opportunity to do some pretty uh, help him resolve some pretty uh, tough cases. One of them was uh, one of the first uh, post 9 11 terrorism cases. Uh, Omar Abu Ali. Uh, he was an individual who was living, or sorry, was born and raised in Virginia, went to Saudi Arabia, and was then accused of making threats to President Bush, then President Bush, um, saying that he could get to him, he could kill him, do things of that nature. Uh, so it was a really uh, interesting case. One of the biggest things that came from the case is that he had said when he was captured in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, that he had been tortured. So we did a lot of information on what it, what it means to be tortured, uh, very in-depth. I think that we ended up doing a 106-page opinion. And when I say we, I mean the judge. <laughs> the judge did a 106-page opinion that he allowed us to help him with. Um, also, I got an opportunity to meet my co-clerk during that time, who's one of my best friends today, Justin Fairfax, who's a lieutenant governor of Virginia. And he's uh, I think he just announced that he's running for governor. Um, and I met him there, uh, and he's a great person. He was in my wedding. I can't say enough uh, great things about his legal aptitude. Uh, after that, I went to be an assistant attorney general for D.C. Uh, I, I went to a small firm in Baltimore, uh, Ashton King Gunston Thomas, where uh, I met some really uh, cool folks. But then I ended up going to uh, be an assistant attorney general for D.C., handling all D.C.'s cases. I was on the civil side, but we had some interaction with the criminal side as well. And then after that, I went and became an administrative law judge. Remember that uh, that law clerk that I had the first time, Jennifer Carter Jones? She said, you should come through this and be thoughtful and, and write more. And so I was able to do that where we issued so many opinions that affected people's everyday life. And that's what I'm really focused on. Then I got the call from the governor. Here I am, some kid at 36, getting putting in my application, getting the call from the governor, uh, Martin O'Malley. And he was going to, that was his, he was ending and he was leaving and going to run for president uh, during uh, the 2008 election, I think it was. Um, and he called, and so I went through the process. It was bitter. It was hard. Uh, people look at me, you're too young. You look like my kid who just broke my TV last weekend. So how are you going to be able to make determinations of things, uh, with a cadre of folks who believed in all the stuff that I did, um, and wanted to give me a chance and knew that it's important to have somebody thoughtful like me and who looks like me be in the court system. And, um, I, I thank them. To help push it along, and the governor uh, decided to appoint me. I remember him uh, calling me when he calls you and he gives you, uh, like, I'm going to appoint you, right? So it's the governor, you're in the call, you're nervous, you don't know. They have somebody who calls you first and says, look, the governor's calling you, and you're hoping that it's good news. Um, he said, hey, Zoo, uh, I'm going to go ahead and appoint you. Um, keep people safe, uh, but remember, and he would tell me, 
that this job is a service job and they get to make sure that you're doing what's right for the community. Always honor safety first, but look at what the community can be and how you can help it get there. And I'll never forget those comments that he made to me. He was a very big supporter for me afterwards. And I appreciate that he overlooked how young I was and could Ooh. see what I hope other folks have seen, that I can be a force for good in the judiciary. Ooh. And so you've inspired so many people uh, while you've been a judge and, and you're also taking on interns and we'll transition into kind of your role today. Uh, but first I want to play this video that you shared with us about um, your intern program this summer, which I thought was, was very interesting. And so we'll play that and I'll let you uh, talk about that. I had an opportunity to make this summer virtual. I understand the severity of COVID, but at the same time, I like to think that we're in a position to do a lot of good for a lot of people if we really push ourselves. We get a lot of hands-on work here, and I think it would be a shame for law students to miss that. I would say that the biggest challenge would be just coming in the first day. I didn't know what to expect. And then getting the call was exciting and a little bit nerve-wracking that we were going to be coming back into a bit of a sense of normalcy. Because of COVID-19, we had to think a little differently this summer. I've shortened the program. Everybody has to wear masks. That's one thing. But academically, we're still trying to get the rigors of learning how the law operates, how it affects folks. A lot of things that we speak about and we learn about um, are teaching me that to be a lawyer, it's not just going to do your job. You impact people's lives just like you. We're on the front lines of the justice that needs to be done right now. We're faced with a lot of social issues that we need to address. Having a diverse set of interns that understand that these are issues we need to listen to is one of the greatest gifts. I've gained knowledge not only from Judge Williams, but from my peers as well. I've gained connections with them as well as other people in the courthouse. And I think that's what's going to lead me to be a better litigator and possibly one day a judge. I know a lot of people haven't had this experience, aren't able to come in due to the pandemic, so I feel extremely lucky to be able to come in. This is an opportunity that I have to make the most out of because I am one of the few people given this chance. Watching these judges with their masks explaining why we're virtually having hearings because of the global pandemic, we're so much more resilient than we think, and we'll get through it. Don't lose heart. These are the moments where people can let go of their dreams, and we don't want that to happen. When you see something you want, try to think about something you do about how to get it. And I think that's the way that students can do. And they can make not only themselves and their parents proud, but they can have a meaningful change to what the future looks like. And so, I mean, you're, you're having to combat not only the judicial system and with a COVID world, but also still find a way to inspire and teach interns. How did how did you come up with how to adapt to the judicial system on the fly like this? Yeah, you know, so I had been doing the program. So first of all, it's the uh, American Bar Association's GIA program. So I want to get a shout out to the American Bar Association for giving me the room to be creative in doing it, uh, especially for the D.C. area in Maryland. Uh, Gail Howard and a number of other folks to let me do it. Here's the thing of the reason why I decided to power through right during this COVID time. Uh, we know that disproportionately uh, the number of judges and folks who are involved at the highest level of the judiciary aren't people of color. 
Uh, and that's a lot because they don't, don't have access. I think this is one of my view, right? So have access to knowing that their career can go that direction from a very early age. That's one of the reasons why I have mostly law students, but now I have some undergrad and high school students participating with me in my chambers. We know that the COVID epidemic uh, has affected, or pandemic, excuse me, has affected Americans in ways that, we'll, that we experience now, but we won't know how we've dealt with it until later. It's giving us some mental emotional trauma for all Americans. Uh, and it's been something that we grapple with and has become divisive uh, in America today. I was thinking about this year because of the panic to just go out and say, no, not this year, guys. Um, whatever class comes in this year who I would have been able to help, that I can't help you. I talked about it. I have a, I have a crew of folks uh, that I always talk about um, with uh, close associates uh, that I, I talk to. And one of them is... Uh, Judge Lee, Gerald Bruce Lee uh, in Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, the other is uh, Roger Fairfax, a number of folks, Justin, folks that have been in my life, my mama. <laughs> She's always going to be in the mix. Uh, and there's a lot of people. And I said, hey, you know what? I don't think I have the energy uh, to go forward. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that last year, and I'm not trying to be somber, um, that I almost died. I had a saddle, uh, a blood clot in my heart. And I was coming home from work and fell and collapsed in my driveway. Folks know I have three younger kids and, you know, watching out and having your younger kids see um, you falling. And you think about the way that the things that you're never going to see from them again. Never going to see them graduate from high school. Never going to see them go to TCU. <laughs> you're never going to see them do those things. And I was reminded about all the stuff that I haven't done and all the ways that I haven't been as helpful to folks, especially when folks have been helpful to me. And these people got together and they impressed upon me, not only that it is important to not forget to make pathways for folks that come behind you and folks that look like you and folks that don't look like you and folks that love differently than you love. Who's going to do it? You see it as, oh, I'll just do it next year. But as we learn and spiritually for those folks who believe, tomorrow is not promised. So I took a hard thought thing to myself, I thought to myself, and then I went to my admin judge who really controls the facilities. And I kind of got her view about it and said I was gonna move forward. And I got a view for some other folks and then how to do it in a safe way, how to do it science-based and in a safe way to have folks come back. Uh, and we were able to develop it six feet apart, masks. I would limit the time that they were there. Uh, and I'll tell you why I think it was important and why it was a good move. We are in an age right now of anxiety. And I could feel it from the first day that these interns came in. Black interns, white interns, straight, lesbian, trans. Folks came, I could feel the letdown that they felt just in that summer. And we all had to take a big breath. And I said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do all the things that keep us smart. We're gonna do scholarly articles. We're gonna learn about the law. We're also gonna express ourselves uh, through art. And at the end of this internship, you're gonna give to me something that you think collectively is expresses yourself in art. I'm gonna hang it in my chambers. 
they all got together and they decided to do Black Lives Matter and do the responses that the judiciary has made since uh, post George Floyd. And so they would have all these comments that the top judiciaries in every state that had mentioned or said something. They put a thermometer on it so that the ones that they thought were the best or the hot ones, the ones that were red, and they put on the other end blue for the ones that they thought were good statements, but statements that weren't enough in their artistic viewpoints. And then they left blanks in the, in the map of the United States or states who haven't spoken up. And then under each state who had a statement, they have a picture of a person who had been killed. And in the states where there wasn't a statement, they have a picture of that as well. Now, let me say something. They're not artists. <laughs> I will say they were there to learn the law and learn its effect on people and what really matters and if systematic racism, how to root it out. That's what they were there to learn and figure out. But the art piece that they gave, you, gave to me was one of my favorite. Yeah, it was falling off a little bit and you had to fix it and, and tape it. But when you look at the awesome uh, thoughts that they were doing, remember they were doing briefs and they were doing other stuff and running to uh, different places. And I was like a boot camp. But at the last day, they were able to present it to me and it hangs in my office till today. Not because I'm trying to make people feel uncomfortable. But what they have shown is, is that people who care and want to become lawyers there's a lot of work to be done. When I see that, and I think back in my decision to make sure that there was an air, a place for them to succeed, to learn, I have no doubt it was the right choice. Hmm. Is there a moment that sticks out throughout the summer aside from the art project where as you're going through the, the boot camp, as you call that, that you just think, this is why I did this? Yeah, so uh, one of the moments uh, I think is is that I'm able, I was able to partnership, and the ABA has allowed me room to do this. My judiciary has allowed me rooms to do this. I have partnered with big time companies in America to have conversations with their upper lawyers, the lawyers who make decisions, the lawyers who are in the courtroom. Uh, uh, sorry, who make decisions, the lawyers at the top level, top levels, and and those companies are Facebook, Microsoft, Discovery Channel. One that's not a company, but the State Department. Also, um, I know I'm forgetting one. They're going to get mad at me when I say that. Oh, how can I forget this? It's Maryland. Under Armour. Under <laughs> Armour. Uh, to do it. Uh, and there's moments where they get in and they talk about, these folks talk about their journeys. And watching the faces of uh, the interns and seeing that they can do it too. That the journeys are sometimes rough. They're not straight. That you need to make sure that you take advice and keep moving and keep pushing. Um, you know, seeing that kind of elated on their faces and then contacting. One of the great things is that one of, I was able to place one person at the Discovery or help Discovery place this one person who was one of my, uh, part of the larger in, intern group. Um, those are success stories. Those are tiny victories, uh, I think. And when I see that and they smile and they feel relieved and that they're not alone or weird, uh, I appreciate that because that's the same feelings that I know that I had and that people, even at the most successful parts, uh, and American culture have as well. And so that was something different from the art project that I that I thought was impressive. And one name that's really been um, on the thoughts of all Americans the last week in the judiciary system was the loss of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, 
you actually were telling me prior that you actually had the chance to uh, meet with her on a couple of occasions. Why don't you uh, share what those experiences were like? First of all, uh, her family and friends are in my thoughts. Um, she, what a wonderful person. I met her on two occasions is one of the stories that I told you. Uh, one occasion, I think it was the most personal occasion, is, is that she uh, married two of my friends. She was the, um, uh, she performed the ceremony uh, the, of, before two of my friends, uh, John and Morgan uh, Weinberger. And actually, uh, Morgan uh, Weinberger, she's now the press, uh, head of the, the number one press person at the State Department. Um, and I remember going to their wedding and I was excited because we were close friends. So I got to sit up front. <laughs> I wasn't like everybody else who had to sit back. I got to sit up front because we were close friends. John and I went to uh, school together. He's one of my my, my, my close personal uh, confidants. So I sat up there and I could hear her voice and I was leaning in because everything that she says is so incredibly important and thoughtful. And so I'm listening to her, I'm engaging her, and my heart's racing the whole time because it's just a marriage ceremony. Everybody else is like, woo, look how pretty the bride is. Woo, look at this, this is awesome. And they're tired crying because they remember these two when they were children. And my heart is racing because she is the person delivering, uh, tying them together. Uh, it was amazing. I tried to dance with her. Uh, that did not work out well. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of big in size. She's uh, not so big in size. Uh, but she was absolutely amazing. It was an amazing uh, wedding. Uh, but she made it right. She was so personable and knew them so closely. And it was hearing somebody speak in that way and having that kind of talent. Right? People say, oh, Judge Williams, you're so well-spoken. You got to hear her. She's amazing. The second time was at one of my law schools. Um, she's friends with one of my professors, uh, Stephen Wormill, who's also a friend of mine and helps with the ABA program and also gives me counsel as well. Um, and she came and she spoke and she lit the she lit it on fire. There were other justices there, but she lit it on fire. Um, she's going to be missed. If you think about all the things she accomplished, if you think about how she has set a rhythm for women being nominated and women getting a real chance. And men seeing women succeed is as important as women seeing women succeed. Um, I get to tell my sons and daughters that I met her. Uh, I get to tell them the story that, that I tried to dance with her, but uh, I'll embellish the story. Like, you know, I had all these moves and and she wasn't keeping up. But I, but uh, knowing uh, her, how she has affected the judicial system is extremely awesome. And reading her writing, woo! You want to nerds like us? You want to you want to curl up with a with a good book? Uh, pick one of her opinions or dissents. Uh, but that means because I'm a law nerd, uh, so maybe that doesn't work for you, right? Uh, maybe Daniel Stills is more than your thing. So go ahead. <laughs> I said a lot there. People said people to tune in. So I said a lot. So that I mean that those are phenomenal stories. That I think we all wish we could have watched, especially trying to dance with. Uh, <laughs> the crispy Hobbs love. She loved that you tried that. Um, I do want to touch on one it more. Was, thing. It, was, it, was, it was most impressive when I was doing the worm and she was looking <laughs> at me with her gout. Now I'm just, let's go ahead. <laughs> which you probably learned at one of your uh, SGA parties, which we'll touch on. Again. Yeah, we can talk about, y'all want to talk about that. Yeah. Stuff we're going to uh, go touch on that in a second, but I do have to get one more um, professional question. Since you are a judge, um, you're near DC. Obviously, there's a lot of um, anxiety around the country about the next six weeks um, with the election, about the uh, pandemic, you, as you talked about. What kind of message would you give to your constituents, would you give to Americans about 
Um, just anxiety about social justice, election, um, the virus, all the things that are going on, just kind of, you know, as one of the leaders in the country, um, I guess kind of what is your elevator pitch or what, what would you be to talk about that? Well, I try to stay in my lane because I'm in the judiciary and I know the legislature and the executive branch have their own way of seeing things. And I appreciate that. Uh, here's what I will say on those issues. And there were two issues, you know, essentially. Uh, there was the COVID issue uh, and there's also uh, the systematic racism slash Black Lives Matter slash in racism. Right. Those are all the things uh, that we're, we're talking about. Let me say this. Uh, one of my favorite singers is Jamie Cullum. For those of you who don't know him, Jamie Cullum is this really short British guy, <laughs> and he does new jazz. He partners with uh, Jay-Z, Rihanna, a number of folks, uh, and helps them write their songs. He does covers. He does his own original songs. And one song he came out with recently and, and his um, and his most recent uh, album, Taller, uh, talks about uh, the age of anxiety. We are in the age of anxiety. We cannot turn on our TV. We can't have a podcast. We can't do all these things without hearing something that is completely frustrating to who we are and who we are as a people of America, in America. Folks who say it's always been that way, that's not true. It's been different degrees of it. But I think that people are in this age of anxiety and it's affecting us uh, on a daily basis, both with our mental health and also about how we can see what the future of America looks like. We're constantly being berated by people using language that's inappropriate. We're constantly being berated by trying to, uh, to separate and say us versus them. And we're not listening to each other. We think each of us think we know it all. And we don't step in the shoes and have different perspectives. And that's a problem. But let me tell you some good things. Young people are coming together. There's still problems, I'm sure, at TCU and people walking around, but young people are coming together, doing tiny victories here and there. One of the things that you pointed out to me that got past me was the mural that was painted in racism. Got an opportunity to look at that mural and talk and think about it and think about what that means. And I know some people may not be ready to talk specifically about Black Lives Matter and what that means. Their defenses go up. But I would encourage people to think about hearing other people's stories and what these stories that they have. Now, I have three children, two black, uh, two black boys and a black girl. So Silas, Xavier, and Cora, they're beautiful. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see that even this morning they were watching me and cheering me on and making coffee. I, I can't make this stuff up. And I look into their eyes and about what the future looks like for them. I think about how I contribute or am complicit of being in the justice system, but not being more careful with my words, careful with how I look at other people's positions to make sure that fairness is going forward. Hmm. How I can find tiny victories by leading folks, bringing folks into the fold, educating folks, trying to get folks on the, on the path uh, to making America what America promises that it can be. It's not easy. It is difficult. And along the way, you're going to make mistakes, and I'm going to make mistakes. 
But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still talk about uncomfortable things. It doesn't mean that Black Lives Matter is just something somebody made up. And that doesn't make any sense. You have to listen to what's going on. I think about when my children are older, and hopefully I get to see that. When they get pulled over or if they get caught up in the justice system, are they going to have a judge like me who's going to be thoughtful about where they come from and what happens? Still apply the law, still safety first. That is so much important. You know, I was I was uh, sitting with my son. Uh, well, I'll tell you a different story. So um, I got a haircut yesterday because <laughs> everybody says you can't go on to, uh, being a scrub, right? And so my uh, my barber, he's excellent. His name is Ramon. And I was sitting in the chair and it's a black barbershop, traditional black barbershop. And he had opened it up just for me because of COVID. He's opened up just for me to come in that day. And we share stories because I try to stay grounded about what's actually happening with, with people who are different in different economic areas than me, different races than me. And he started to tell the story about the time that um, during this uh, COVID, because they were all isolated, so we feel tender about our bodies. And also with the Black Lives Movement or, po or post Floyd, whatever you want to call it, um, that he uh, went out to get something from the grocery store. He's watching his son and his wife was there. And he went out to get something from uh, the grocery store. And when he got back to the house, because he just got, I don't know, juice and bread or whatever folks get, um, or here we got, and he gets in and his son tackles him. His son is about five or six years old, tackles him. Full tears in his face. And his son says, daddy, daddy, daddy. He's like, what's wrong? Is there somebody in the house? What's going on? And she says, where did you go? He says, I went down the street to the store. I just, it was like five minutes. I just came back. And he told him, this is out of the, mind of, out of the mouth of a five or six-year-old. You can never leave anywhere and go anywhere without telling me where you're going. Because I don't know you're coming back. That story should shake people's conscience. It isn't a political story. It's a story about a father and a son and a son who's afraid because of everything that's going on and what his future looks like from COVID to Black Lives Matter to all these things that he has to have his father check out and check in every day. Hmm. We can do better. And we're going to do better if we talk to each other, if we listen to each other, if the folks in my branch and the other branches come together and to make America the America that I know that it can be. That the, those of us with Christianity in our hearts and are trying to move forward, make decisions that are good and little tiny victories, doesn't have to be talking about the major election. You don't have to talk about all the bad things, but think about all the small things you do. That's what we did at TCU when I was there. It doesn't undo hundreds of years of pain. It doesn't undo the situation where it doesn't do that the fact that more blacks go to jail and mass incarceration. But here's what it does do. It takes a step in the right direction. And sometimes you have to shake off old things and old ideas to move forward. Hmm. That's what makes the future bright. So you ask me, what are the things that I think about or this current situation? It's those things that are on my mind. But I don't say this to make people feel bad because there's people like me and you who are out there who are trying to make the difference. And it's hard, and especially with social media, it is difficult. 
but that's okay. Because just like when I was at TCU, you know what our mantra was? Learning to lead the world. And that's or change the world. That's what we're going to do. Those are my thoughts. And I know you have to get going and we could, I could go for three more hours and just listen to you talk about all this, these things. And we can't, we don't even have time to get into some of your, the more memorable memories that uh, you had shared earlier, but I do want to end on a happier note while also um, touching into what you just spoke about. Um, I'm going to put a picture up that you shared with us. All right. I'll, um, I'll, I'll put my glasses on. Don't make fun of me. Okay. No, no. This is, I think it'll be, I just want you to share your thoughts about what your worldview was like when this picture was taken. <laughs> yeah, what my worldview was like. My worldview in this picture, this is the house of uh, reps. Uh, I see Sarah's there, Marcus Kane. Oh, everybody's there, man. Just Paul in the back, Ben, Tall, Carlo. Uh, just so many folks just went up in there. So my worldview at that time, I think was substantially similar. I think I was looking for a way. If you notice, um, you know, this picture speaks volumes about how TCU was when I was there. But that's a genuine smile that you're seeing for me um, because the people who are in that photograph were working to make TCU a more inclusive place and a better place. Um, I think if you, if I'm gonna be honest, probably it was on a Friday and I was probably thinking about uh, it is Sarah Burleson. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Catherine's on it, man. She's on it. Uh, so, uh, uh, it, who's also, uh, I think, a public defender or some type of uh, legal aid type lawyer. She's amazing. Um, the uh, all right, Mari Mooneyham. Let me. So, I was probably thinking about. Thank you, Mary Catherine. Uh, so, I was probably thinking about um, what it looks like for Friday night because <laughs> 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 I think that's what we're thinking about. Wait, but. That type of enjoyment, I see Ben Jenkins in there too. That kind of uh, enjoyment uh, was something that I still pushed. And those are people who not only let me talk, but allowed me to listen to them. So uh, Sarah Donaldson too? All right, we have all these folks. That's great. <laughs> up one more that also speaks to the way you were trying to uh, uh, recruit future students. Um, you were uh, on the application for undergraduate admission. I was. That is me. Uh, look how thin like I know, look at that, I was thin, and so, uh, you know, I wanted people to come to TCU, because I think TCU can be a place um, where uh, folks can listen and talk to each other. Um, uh, at that time, I probably was trying to think about inclusive, by getting people there. It was a hidden, hidden secret, I think, for a lot of folks on the East Coast, and so I was encouraging folks to come out. Uh, and I know, and I, you know, I talked to folks who are current students there, I know Leo's on and some other folks um, all the time, and there can be some difficulties. Um, that, that, you know, racially and COVID, and I, we can talk about those if I'm invited back at some later time, I can be more specific. Uh, but for this one, um, you know, uh, I want folks to know uh, that we can move in the right direction and TCU can move in the right direction. And that's one of the reasons I love it. Uh, but you can't just um, ignore it and wait for stuff to happen. Be a leader. Mm -hmm. And we'll wrap up in the last four minutes before we let you go. What are your, uh, any future plans that we need to uh, be on the lookout for you with? So, so I tease that, right? I tease that in my, in my social media. Uh, let me take my glasses off. Uh, so I, I tease that in my social media. Uh, so uh, let me first say this. People should follow me on social media, uh, both on my LinkedIn account. Uh, you can just do it. I'll add you. And then also, I, many people, I have a lot of folks that follow me because I have a lot of thoughts on different issues, especially when it comes to uh, 
the way the judiciary works. So I, and, and on Facebook too. So Facebook and LinkedIn, you can carry these conversations. Here's what I will say. I'm looking to do the most good for the most folks. And right now, uh, that is being where I am. I'm able to do the program. I'm able to do, uh, think about uh, the cases before me, give different views to my colleagues, follow the law, keep people safe, which is, again, honor safety first. Um, but I've been doing a lot more writing. I'm teaching at American University now. Um, so I will say this. Um, we don't know what's going to happen come November. We don't know what's going to happen after that. But uh, I will tease this and say that I, I plan to be in the place where I can do the most good for the most people. And I will commit to right now as I make my next move, If I when I make my next move, that I'll do it right here for TCU first. I'll do it right here. If the show's still around, I'll do it here. I'll do it at TCU because I love it so much. You'll be the first to know. You're my family about what I plan to do. But uh, I hope it'll be big, but more important, it'll be helpful and will move us forward in America. So what I think I just heard is that on the Frog for Life podcast, <laughs> in about 2022 or 2023, you're going to have a presidential run right here on the Frog for Life podcast. Who wants the limited power of a president? No, I'm just talking about no, no. it. It could be, uh, uh, I'm not saying that. I will do it here. I will definitely do a uh, Frog for Life podcast. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. TCU should be the folks to know first. You're the first that nurtured me, uh, didn't hit me too hard over the head when I made mistakes. Uh, and can move forward and can change the world again. I believe in it. And also, uh, go Frogs. We want to make sure we win football, too. That's <laughs> so, right. Awesome. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a recording. People need to go back to our pages and rewatch. So much wisdom was shared. And we. I wish we could go, like I said, for another three hours. But awesome. we'll also awesome. get back to uh, judicial. I'm sorry, Rob. If you invite me back, I'll tell all the stories about the uh, SGA parties and all the stuff that I teased. Uh, I'll, I'll be very honest about that stuff. It's I want to know what a church protector fight is. Ah, well, call me back. Bring me back. I'll tell you all about it. And none all of my right. friends. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Zoo. We uh, loved having you. And uh, go Frogs. Go Frogs.